You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hi there. Good morning. I'm excited to uh, to get into our next portion today because I think it's probably one of the more difficult uh, portions of the Bible and, and possibly one of the more offensive sections of Peter, for sure, of uh, of uh, First Peter here. Um, we've been going through a series called Next, and it represents what God has for us next in our life as we grow, as we mature, as we become the person, the man and the woman of God that God has called us to be. So we've been kind of unpacking First Peter and finding out what God is speaking to us through Peter. Now, you got to understand the background context of Peter is, is, is quite unique in the Bible. It was written around 67 AD, and the emperor at the time, Nero, uh, basically burned down his own city, a portion of his own city in Rome. He blamed it on the Christians and put a decree out that all Christians are to be rounded up and killed or tortured. So as a result, in about 67 AD, there was just widespread, intense, and harsh persecution of Christians, and the Christians basically went into exile. They became people who had no homes, who were basically running uh, for their life from the major cities. Peter is writing to a group of those exiled Christians who were wandering around the area of what is today Turkey and was then Asia Minor. So he writes this letter, an apostle of the church writes to the exiles that are on the run for their life. These are people going through a difficult time of their life. And they're wondering, God, really, do you have something for us? We don't know what our future holds. We don't know what our life holds. Everything that we've known has been turned upside down. God, what do you have for us next? Well, that's the context. Peter reminds them, this is what God has for you next. This is how you can know what God has for you next. And, you know, even though maybe you're not in exile, maybe you are, this is what God has for us This year, next, Peter explains that next is about understanding that even though you're on the run, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, that in Jesus, you've been given a new life, you've been given a new way of living life, and you've been given a new way of looking at life. That's the core three foundations of first Peter. So we're going to start today with the verse that we ended off with last week. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, it says, but you talking to believers, talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian here today and you're just kind of sitting in to kind of check this out, check church out, check us out, then I want you to know how important you are to us. And if you decide to cross over to an understanding that Jesus is Lord of your life, this is what God has for you. He says, you, if you are a Christian, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We really took a lot of time to take a look at those. Uh, We looked at those last week. He says, when you need direction, don't ever forget who you are. Don't forget you are a people of God, a people of God, and a people for God. He says that you may declare, he says, you're these things so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Now, some of you, aren't you glad that Jesus called you out of darkness? Aren't you glad? Some of you, you would like to be out of your darkness. Well, that's what God has for you. He wants you out 
of your darkness. He says, who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received the mercy. And, and as we think through today, I want you to think about what is your out of darkness story? What is your, what is your I was lost, but now I am found? What is your you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy story? Some of you, you need to take the time today to think through your story of God. All right, and that's kind of where uh, a lot of this is going to play. And today I'm going to talk about making ripples. You know, if you've ever uh, played with rocks, you know, if, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if you know this, I'm a guy. And if a guy goes to a lake or a bridge or a pond or the ocean, immediately he wants to throw something in it, right, or throw something over it. There's why. That is why. We spit over bridges because we so badly want to just drop something over, but the closest thing we got is our spit. So when it comes to a, a, a lake, you know, you're like, you go, man, this is cool. Yeah, it's beauty. Where's a rock? Where's a stick? Where's something, right? And the bigger the rock, the greater the splash, right? Who's with me on that? Is there any guys that can testify? Any ladies maybe can testify too? You're like, you just, you just want to throw something in, right? You see water, you know, you just want to hear it. Right? So you go to a lake, you go to a bridge or something, you see uh, water, and it doesn't really matter how big. You just want to throw something in. Of course, you look for the big ones, but you say all you can find is a little rock. You still throw it in. Maybe you try to see how far, if you can reach the other side. Yeah, right. Six million dollar man effort. And uh, so you throw the rock in, but that little rock can make a big ripple right? You, 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 it hits the water and it just kind of reverberates and it causes waves. Now, the bigger the drop, the greater the ripple. I believe God has, has purposely dropped us in this world. If you give your life to Christ, your mission is not over. God's dropped you in the middle of your workplace. He's dropped you in the middle of your school. He's dropped you in the middle of your neighborhood. And he's dropped you there on purpose to leave a ripple. And, the, and the, the bigger you understand God is, the greater the ripple you will leave. And today, Paul is challenging, I'm sorry, Peter is challenging us to realize that we've been called to make a ripple. How to live influentially. He says, you have been called out of darkness. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's special possession for the purpose of declaring his goodness to the world, to tell you're out of darkness into light story, to tell you I was lost, I didn't have mercy, but now I do story. So with that in mind, God wants you to know who you are so that you can tell the world who he is. How can our life change the world? This is kind of how Peter unpacks First Peter. He says, first of all, you have a change of position. At your salvation. And he says, and that brings a change of mind. The way you see yourself, the way you see the world. And then he says, it moves into a change of attitude. So today, making ripples begins with a change of attitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad they're talking about attitude because you need a new one. <laughs> Some of you mean that you said that with such conviction because you know it's true. Somebody here needs a change of an attitude. All right. 
reflecting and declaring God in a dark world. Let's live influentially. Here's how Peter, first Peter chapter two, verse 11 says, it says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. He says this, he says, now remember you're on the run. This is not your home. You're just passing through. When I was in Bible college, I had several roommates over the course of a, of a couple of years, of several years, and uh, it never failed. Uh, I had roommates that were Canadian, and I don't understand the whole Canadian dual citizenship thing. Anybody with me on that? I don't get it. Just because you're born in Canada, you have dual citizenship options? What? I, I, I don't know. So if I'm born in America, do I have dual citizenship with Canada? No, I don't. But apparently if you're in Canada, you can come to the U.S. whenever you want. I never, ever understood the process or the reason behind. I probably could probably look it up and find out. But I always thought it was interesting. So we used to always joke about dual citizenship. And, you know, I mean, how you can never, you know, you need to choose who you want to be and be it, right? We'd always joke about it. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're, we're like that, the Bible says. And this is the first thing Paul says, sorry, Peter says, he says, number one, I want you to live with the daily reminder that you have dual citizenship. Peter says here that we have two places we can access and live. We have one foot in this world and one foot in heaven. This dual citizenship is a reminder that we must keep close because we need to be reminded that we're exiles. We're foreigners. We're travelers. We're sojourners. We're just passing through this life. And if we want to make a big splash, if we want to leave a ripple, if we want to live influentially, we must remember that we live in a hostile world towards Christians. And our dual citizenship will always be tested. We must always be reminded that this is not our home. And that the way that the world lives their life and thinks and does things is not the way that we should live and think and do things. We have dual citizenship. Verse 11 says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, as sojourners, abstain from the things that feed the flesh. Avoid the things that tempt your sinful struggles. He says, run, abstain from them and live such good lives, bless you, and live such good lives among the pagans, that's people who haven't met Jesus yet, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Here's the second thing. If you want to leave a ripple, not only do you need to live as a dual citizen, but you need to live above reproach. Now, this is one of those extremely important things that so many Christians miss altogether. And if you're not a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you see Christians missing this point of their life, living above accusation, living in such a way, uh, Peter says, that leaves no room for accusation in our life. You see, this is where living for Jesus gets personal. For example, he says, that may mean that maybe you're not going to go to certain parties because 
People might assume that you're getting drunk or might assume that you're smoking pot or might assume that you're having sex if you go to that party. It might mean that you have to stop doing and going to places because you want to live above accusation. He says, avoid certain kinds of humor. You know, maybe that means that we, that we don't tell certain kinds of jokes or, or go to certain kinds of movies or participate in certain kinds of conversations because once we join in, then we get clumped into the accusation of sinful lives. He says, abstain, live above accusation. He says, maybe we need to think about how we talk. Maybe we need to dress differently, wear clothes that leave no room for accusation. Maybe we need to change the way we spend our money because the way we spend our money could be a direct accusation that might lead someone to not understand Jesus. It may mean that we need well, I like this. We need to treat people differently, especially the EGRs. You know what an EGR is? It's a leadership term. Who's a leader who knows what an EGR person is? Yeah, some of you said extra grace required. There are certain individuals that are EGRs. When you're with them, you're like, oh, extra grace required. Right? Because they're just the kind of people that just kind of test you that push you farther than you emotionally want to go. But because we need to live above accusation, that means we need to treat the EGRs with more grace than others, that we, as Christians, make a decision that we're not going to, if we're a guy, live with a girl, even if they're my friend and not my girlfriend. Because we want to live above accusation, keeping our words and our actions living above accusation, abstaining. He says, don't do it. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We ought to be the most honest, most trustworthy, most caring, gracious people on earth. We live differently. We live above reproach. He goes on to say this. Here's another way. He says in verse 13, he goes on, he says, and submit yourselves. <laughs> That's, everybody likes that word, right? Submit. We you like snap our fingers, submit, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. We honor, submit, respect, by the way, not for the fear of man, he says, but for God's sake. He says, for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, submit to human, all human authority. Whether the emperor, the beast, Nero, the guy who's killing their families, burning down their houses and torturing them in the arenas. He says, respect. He says, submit to even the tyrants. Woo, hold on a second, Ted. This is way, 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 way out of line. He says, to every human authority, whether it's the emperor, known as the beast at the time, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by God is sent by him to punish those who do wrong and do commend those who do right. He says, he says, you know what? There's a lot of bad things in government, but when we pull back and we realize that all government has been given by God and has been set in place to bring justice and to protect the innocent, he says, be thankful for the good that it does do. God sets government in place to help us knowing that this letter will ultimately get back to Nero He's saying to Nero, look, Nero, we're not trying to bring you down. We, we never burned down your city. 
all those governors that got that letter from, from the Emperor Nero to kill all Christians, he says, hey, this is going to get out. We want to honor, we want to respect even those that hate us and misuse us. And here's the third way that if we want to change our attitude, we must live submitted. Live submitted. See, here's the challenge, people. We don't like to submit to anybody. Nobody tells me what to do. Don't tell me what I can't do. You guys ever watch Lost? Any Lost people here? <laughs> uh, early first season, there's a character who, uh, who uh, basically was in a wheelchair and wanted to go on this outback excursion. They told him he couldn't do. And a big line that I just remember, he gets all upset and he goes, don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me what I can't do. And I think, you know what? That's how we live our lives. Don't tell me what I can't do. I'll do what I want. We don't want to submit to anybody. Submit yourselves, he says, to every human authority. We are to respect all authority, even the ones you don't like. Respect is given regardless of what they do. Here's the, you know, we confuse respect with rapport. Respect is deserved because of position. Rapport is earned through acts of trust and good leadership. Some of you, you may not have a good rapport with the leaders in your life, a teacher, a boss, um, you know, your parents. But because of the position, Paul says, you respect them. He says, you submit to them. The rapport, that is a trusting of their leadership and and an emotional connection to them as a person, that may never come. But regardless, you must respect. He says, Nero was killing our families and destroying our lives, yet he says, submit and honor to him. When we do this, we reveal Jesus. That's the heart of a follower of Jesus. We stand for what is right. We live for what is right. We don't participate in what is wrong, but we still respect and honor the authorities God has given us in our life, whether good or bad. Whether a supervisor or a president, or the police, or a professor, or a parent, the leaders we don't trust, the laws we don't like, and the taxes we don't want to pay. We submit to all of the authority in our life. Like I said, this is one of those areas that the Bible is very clear on that's hard to follow. He says, why? Verse 12, he says, this is why, so that others might see Christ in us and glorify God. He says, verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, doing what is right in the face of corruption, submitting and respecting and honoring, not participating in what is wrong, he says, but doing right in the face of corruption, you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He says, man, they will have nothing bad to talk to you about. And ultimately, you will muzzle or stop foolish men and women. Our right and respectful actions stop the ignorant and stop the foolish. Now, here's the question. Some say, was there ever a time when we should have civil disobedience? Civil disobedience is when you disobey the laws of the land. And by the way, the Bible says we are to obey the laws of the land. We are to submit to all earthly governments. But civil disobedience is when we disobey 
a, a legal position or a law? Is there a place for civil disobedience in our lives? Yes, there is. The Bible is pretty clear that God is the ultimate authority in our life. And if our local authority or government authority or even parental authority or teacher authority, when authorities in our life, which we are to submit to, when they disobey or encourage us and let me, let me say whether they disobey or not. If they encourage us to disobey God and they are by law telling us to do something that God has said not to do, then the Bible gives us completely an opportunity to respect their authority, but yet civilly disobey their authority. We disobey only when the authority causes us to disobey God. Respect and honor does not mean that we obey sinful orders or rules. We do not allow injustice. We do not allow the abuse of the poor and the weak. We are not to bow to idols, but stand for what is right, but with respect. Some of you are so quick to attack the authorities in your life that you become completely disrespectful. Now, I don't know how some of you talk about your bosses, but I can imagine for some of you, it's probably not very well. Or about your teachers, or about your parents, or about your government officials, or about your president. The Bible says we are told to, to not accept sinful actions, but we are to respect those in authority. When do we disobey? Well, if I'm told I must accept all lifestyles, I will respectfully disagree and will not. If told I must pay for abortions, I civilly and respectfully will not. If they say that they have the right to control what my children learn, I will politely tell them no. If they tell me to be quiet about Jesus, I humbly will not. Peter experienced this. Guys, listen, Peter is saying submit to authority, even Nero, but at the same time, he was in and out of prison because he spoke the name of Jesus after he was told by law not to. He says there is a time to disobey, but at all times we must seek to submit unless it overrides what God has called us and told us to do. Ultimately, all the governments of this world pass away, but as we hold this dual citizenship, we reflect Jesus and our attitudes toward them all. Even under the greatest of tyranny, we live as free men and women in Jesus. We are called to respect, honor, and pray for all authority, and we should be the best employees at our job, the best students at our school, and the best citizens in our country. Do you understand? Some of us have got such a bad, negative view of politics or of a teacher, of our boss, that it's just, it has affected our entire attitude and ability to make a splash in this world. Peter says, submit to your authority, respect that authority, honor that authority. He goes on to say that this is actually a sign of true freedom. He says, verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Peter says, live as free and live as a slave. What does that mean? This is what it means, and this is how to make a ripple. This is the next thing that Peter says. He says, live for others. Live for others. You see, our freedom does not mean that we do what we want, but free to not have what we want. 
See, we think that freedom in the Bible means I can do whatever I want. I can go anywhere I want, do anything I want, be anything I want. No, freedom in the Bible means you are free to not have to have what you want. You realize that, right? It means we're free to serve when we don't feel like serving. It's free to give when we don't feel like giving. It's free to show up when we don't feel like we want to be there. It's free to live for others. That's freedom in Christ. Some of you, you use your freedom as an abuse in your life. Sometimes you use this liberty that you have in Christ to do things that God says, no, you're not living for others. You're living for yourself. Some of you guys, you pound the table for the freedom that you have the right to do this. Well, you're not freed. You're bound to your own slavery of yourself. You're bound as a slave to your own so-called freedoms. Paul says, don't live as free uh, uh, to people, but live as free and as a slave to God. This is crazy. He says, you're a free person, but a slave at the same time. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, show proper respect to everyone, even those who don't deserve it. Love the family of believers and fear God. He says, man, that's easy. Man, it's easy to, to have an awe of God, to have a love for the people that's easy to love, but respect even those that don't deserve it. And he says, and honor the emperor, the hard to respect. He says, this is about being free. This is you're free to live for others. As you... Uh, so some might say, well, are you saying we respect and honor our politicians? Do you read the news? Do you know what's going on? And my response is, do you know Nero? Do you know what he has done to them? Do you know what kind of corruption? There are few people alive that have sunk to the depravity and evil as Nero. And Peter calls him out by name. He says, honor the emperor. Even the most vile leader that you can imagine, we are to submit and honor to. You see, following Jesus is a change of attitude. If we actually live like this, our churches would probably look more diverse. If we live like this, our churches might actually make a bigger splash in our community. If we as individuals lived like this, we wouldn't divide into our little sub-huddle groups at work or school based upon our judgments of others, but we might actually make some waves. We might see different types of backgrounds and and cultures and, and people with different ranges of financial income. We would see the poor and the wealthy be able to sit together because our attitude is not one of judgmental accusations or preconceived ideas based upon our positions, but they would be based upon freedom and respect to everyone and love to the family of God and awe to God and even an honor to our political leaders. People just might see Jesus and not our judgments. Just so you know, he knows how hard it is. He then gives a very hard example. Verse 18, he says, slaves. Now, I want to talk about this before we get into this section here, because this is probably one of the most abused scriptures in the Bible. How many of you guys saw uh, 12 Years uh, a Slave? 
pretty good movie. All right, it's pretty powerful. You should see it. If you have not seen it, you should see it. Um, there's a scene in the movie where the slave owner quotes this passage right here in the movie to his slaves. He completely takes it out of context. This passage has been used to, to oppress individuals in our nation for a long time and accuse Christians of supporting slavery. And I want to make it clear the Bible does not, nor has it ever supported forced slavery or abuse of any kind. In fact, Christianity is the first in all of recorded history, is the first faith in the world to combat publicly slavery, as we know it today. So let's unpack what this word slave means. It's not what you might think. It's not like our idea of slavery, when we think of slaves, you might think of, you know, uh, the days of American slavery, South American slavery, British slavery. Um, basically, slavery, there are three types in the Roman Empire. This is a, a, these are people bound to temporary legal servitude. Three types of slaves. There are those that were captured foreigners that in the Roman Empire. If they conquered a nation, they would take some of those people back to their hometown and put them to work for about five to 10 years. And then after that, they were free. It was a legal servitude of, of, um, of domination. There was also the second type of slavery, which those that were in debt. If you were in, how many, well, I was going to say, how many of you in debt? Raise your hand. Don't do that. I'm sure almost everybody in here would raise their hand. Uh, if you got behind on a bill and, and you were in the Roman time, they could basically come and take you as a, slave and you would have legal servitude with them until that debt was paid off. You and your entire family would be forced to live on their property and serve them to pay off that debt. That's the second. It is those in debt. And then there are those who actually signed up to be slaves as a way to work and live for a duration of time, for maybe 10 to 20 years. Maybe someone, a young person who didn't have a life, didn't have a family, or someone who was a broke would go and they would basically sign their life over as a slave for a certain amount of time as a bonded contract servitude, uh, much like someone joining the military, where the military tells you what to do, where to go, how to eat, how to live, and man, they bust your hind end, don't they? If you've ever been in the army, I've never been in the army. But I, uh, it's my understanding that they're not, you know, playing, you know, patty cake with you guys. It is hard, right? He says, there are those that have a life like this. In fact, at the time that Peter wrote this, a third of the entire Roman Empire was considered a slave. So Paul says, you know what? The gospel is for everybody. He says, everyone. And then he says, slaves. I want to talk about you for just a second. The Bible does not endorse slavery. When the Bible mentions it, it is contracted servitude, bonded by legal documents to live for a specific amount of time, not for their lifetime. Some owners were harsh with their servants slash slaves at that time. Some were unjust and not right. Paul writes, what do you do when your boss is terribly, terribly horrible at leading you? This is what he says. He says, slaves, contract workers, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, your temporary owners, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Here's another way that you can make a ripple. Live humbly. Live humbly. 
Some of you, you know, when I posted that I was going to talk about how to get along with harsh and horrible leaders, I got several comments and several um, uh, messages. Basically, man, I need this. I need to hear this. Boy, I'd like to hear this. I can't wait to hear this. Uh, one person is out of the country, and he listens to all our all our messages on the Internet. It says, man, I can't wait till this is posted. Because apparently where he's at, he's got some horrible leaders. And this is what Paul says. He says, submit yourself to even the harshest of leaders. Peter gives an example that is almost impossible to understand. You ever had a jerk as a boss? Peter says, submit, humbly submit to them. One might ask, well, what if they take advantage of me? What if they mistreat me? What if they're mean to me? Well, that's the point. That's his point. If they're harsh and they're not telling you to do something that is outside of what God has for you to do, he says, submit. Well, I don't think it's fair that I have to be there at so-and-so time or that I get punished if I'm like a 30 seconds late or if, or if this project, you know, submit. Whether they're considered or harsh. A wicked, crooked jerk of a boss we are to honor and respect As a follower of Jesus, we don't work for them anyhow. We work and serve God. He goes on to say in in verse 19, he says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? He says, some of you, man, I am persecuted at work. Man, I have to be there like five of the morning. No, it's a job. And that's the time that you agreed to be there at. If you, when you signed on, some of you go, well, I don't like how I'm treated at work. It's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you work and you have a job. And sometimes bosses are jerks. Sometimes leadership is bad. Sometimes people are not good at leading others. And he says, you know, there's going to be some of you, 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 you're pro, you handed projects late. Well, I'm just being perched. It's harsh. No, you, you were late. Your project was late. And he says, it's not commendable if you deserve the punishment. He says, but if you've done nothing wrong and you're just living for God, he says, but if you suffer for doing what is good and endure it, this is commendable before God. The point here is doing right will sometimes get you into trouble. And when it does, if we respond right, God is honored and it's a win. Here's the last thing that I want to talk about for a second. He says, you want to know how to reflect and declare God in a dark world? He says, not only do you live for others and live humbly, not only do you um, live submitted, he says, but you live ready. Live ready. That's the last thing I want to mention for the next couple of minutes. Live ready. Wherever you are, whatever may come your way, we live differently and we're ready to answer anyone who may ask about our life. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in our hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, if we live differently and we act differently and we have a different attitude, people will say, man, what is it about you? Why is it that you're always polite to our boss when they're a jerk? How is it that you always are polite to our teachers when they are strange and weird? And why is it that you are always polite and considerate to your parents? That you're so respect. What is it about your attitude, about your outlook on life? He says, be ready. 
See, if you live differently, if you have a different attitude, people will notice. He says, be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. He said, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see, our change of position brings a change of mind. And our change of mind to a change of attitude. And our change of attitude brings a change of approach. I want to give you real quick, out of this passage, four things this verse tells us about living ready to answer. But before I do, I want you to think about what you think the world thinks about Christians. Surprisingly, it's not very good. Check out this video. quite revealing, isn't it? I remember watching that for the first time and I'm thinking, oh God, help us, forgive us all. Lord, if we could just have a change of attitude and a change of approach, we might make the biggest splash this world has ever seen. What a ripple of change that would bring. This passage gives us four things about living ready to answer. And the first thing is this, is that we talk about what we know about. He says, be prepared. Know what you're talking about. Know your Bible, read the scriptures, prepare and answer. He says, use your brain, be intelligent, have an answer that makes sense. Some people, you know, I don't need, I don't need all that teaching stuff. Just, I'll believe it because I believe it, you know. I said, the Bible says that's good enough for me. Well, it's good enough for me too. But you need to be prepared and ready to give a good answer. That word prepared, the word in there that we get is, have you ever heard of the word apologetics? That means a ready defense. And uh, it doesn't mean, oh, we're so sorry. It means a ready defense. And the Bible says we need to have good apologetics. We need to have a ready defense, a ready answer. Be prepared. He says, know what you're talking about. Some of you, you can't explain your faith out of a bucket. I mean, I I can't help but wonder if you can't tell someone how to meet Jesus, how do you even know you met Jesus? How can you tell someone how they can meet the Savior of the world? Well, if you can't, maybe you haven't met him either. Maybe you're just along for the ride. 
He says, be ready, be prepared. The second thing he says, we talk about Jesus with kindness. He says, be gentle. He says, we do this with gentleness. We talk lovingly, not harsh, not forceful, not condemning. You know, when someone's talking to us and they're a a, a Wiccan or an atheist or just lost or a different religion or a Buddhist, we don't go, wrong. (laughs) Oh, man, you, you are so wrong. And we don't belittle them. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. You know how much I like that? It's belittling. So many of us, we talk to people like we're so superior, so much better. And Paul's like, you know what? If it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be right where they were at. It's by grace. It's because God has, has whatever reason, favor on your life to meet him. So we should never stand with arrogance or pride before those that do not know him. He says we are to speak with gentleness. Not forceful, not harsh. Gentle. You think you can talk gentle? And then he says, and we also do this with patience. He says we are to speak with respect. With respect means we don't attack. We don't pick it and shout at people. But we listen to them. We encourage them. We love them. We treat them with respect. Respect does not mean you accept a person's decisions or lifestyle, but you respect them because they are a person, a human being that God created who he loves. Some of you, it's time to respect and quit being so negative and judgmental. The reason you're not making a splash in the world is because you're harsh and mean and negative and you don't listen You don't respect people. Colossians 4 or 5, Paul says it this way. He says, be wise in a way, in the way that you act towards outsiders. That's those aren't Christians. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says, man, be kind, be polite, be seasoned. And here's the last thing that that verse that Peter says He says, we are to live out what we talk about. He says, and we are to keep a clear conscience. So some of you, you can't make a big splash because you you cuss like a sailor, and then you turn around and say, yeah, but I love Jesus. I'm not saying cussing will keep you out of heaven. It's probably a bad idea, and it doesn't reflect God, and it's it's something you need to rein in. The Bible says we need to rein in our tongue and our mouth. Our our tongue is like a rudder. It's probably the most powerful force in our life. It can direct the entire ship of our course of our life. Some of you can't control your mouth to your boss. Some of you can't control your mouth to your own family members. Some of you can't control your own mouth when it comes to talking about those that offend you. He says, We need to keep a clear conscience. We need to walk and live in such a way that we're not hypocrites or living a double life. We live what we speak. He goes on to say, he ends with this in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. It says, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, (laughs) leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, wait a minute. Peter tells us, that we have been called to suffer. He says, this is what you've been called because Christ suffered. 
He left you an example, not only in suffering, but in how to respond to suffering. He says, we will be persecuted. We will be unjustly accused. We might even be attacked or beaten. He says, they did it to Jesus. They'll probably do it to us. He says, but Jesus gave us an example to live by. We're talking about living influentially. Jesus ultimately showed us how to reflect God in the face of suffering and trials. He goes on to explain, he says, he, Jesus, he committed no sin. He did what was right. He did what was pure. And yet there was no deceit found in his mouth. That means he didn't cuss them out or try to bring them down with his words when he was being abused, when he was on that cross. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He didn't seek to pay back what they had done to him and harshly attack them back. He says, but when he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't get defensive and combative. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Like Jesus, we are to endure and entrust to the Father as the one who will ultimately take care of you. See, Peter says there's some things you just can't make right. But trust that God is taking care of you. Can you do that? That's the challenge of this section. Verse 24 says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Some translations say tree, which means wood. He his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Man, we live differently when we meet Jesus. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean physical healing. In fact, the promise there, as we read on and before, it's a promise of healing in the suffering of our life spiritually and ultimately a promise of heaven He says, Jesus bore your sin in his body on the cross. Jesus suffered and was crucified for you. The stripes that were laid upon his back were for you so that we might die to our sin, that our sin might be washed away, that we might go from darkness into life, that though we were under judgment, we found mercy through the cross to live a new life, to live a new way of life and to see and to examine and to notice that there is a new perspective on life so that our life could be repaired and restored to health. Verse 25, he says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now, oh, but now you have returned. You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says to those drifting exiles, those Christians on the run, like many in this world, we once were wandering sheep lost. He says, but thank God we have Jesus, that even when we don't know where we're going, we have a shepherd who takes care of us, who shows us where to go next. I love this passage. So what's next for you? Are you ready to reflect and declare God to make a ripple, to make a splash? Are you ready to learn how to submit? Are you ready to learn how to make an impact, how to be humble, how to be grace-filled, how to be patient yet bold in our lives for God? Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to make a ripple, 
that you've called us, God, to make a difference. And God, I pray that you'd help us to know that we have a change of position that has brought a change of mind, that is bringing a change of attitude and ultimately a change of approach in how we live this life and how we reflect Christ in this world. And God, I pray that there are people today, Lord, it's time for them to stop being so angry and defensive to the loss and to their boss or to their teacher or to their parents. And God, I pray that you'd help us to know that we can make the biggest impact when we live humbly and submissively to those around us, that we honor you when we honor them. And God, if there's someone here, God, I believe there's someone here who, just like Peter says, needs to return to the shepherd. Some of you here, you are running from God, and it's time to return to the shepherd, the restorer of our soul. I want to pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed as we continue to pray. God, if there's anyone here, Father, Lord, that they in their heart are moved to respond to this grace, this love that, God, maybe they've missed by other Christians because they've seen the hypocrisy and the anger and the judgmental attitude. God, I pray that they would see that that is not you. That that is not you at all. And God, I pray that today would be the day that they say yes to Jesus and yes to the body of Christ, and yes to making a splash in this world that makes a difference. Could you just take a moment just to talk to God and say, God, here's my heart, here's my life, forgive me of my sin. I've I've been running, I've messed up. Be my shepherd. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. You bore my sin and shame so that I might be healed. Heal my life, God. I need your healing. My family is a wreck. My job is a wreck. My heart is a wreck. I'm coming to the shepherd. Heal my heart, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.